Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift dedicated to telling scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Down the dark alleyway, your host awaits. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Greetings, my little cadavers, and happy Halloween. To celebrate the most wonderful time of the year, I have six scary stories selected from my sinister sanctum. So turn off the lights and gather round the fire. For our first fright, Bradley tells us about a family trip that threatens to split them apart forever. Here is Whispers on the Wind. When I was a kid, my dad bought a motorhome It was small, but it could fit my mom, dad, my little sister, and me. He called it Freedom on Four Wheels. We had a lot of great camping trips all over the Northeast, but it was our trip to Canada I will always remember. It was cold, too damn cold, but tried to convince Pops otherwise. My mom tried and they just ended up fighting. She wanted to get a motel room, but my dad lectured us on how he had already paid for two beds, running water, and a hot plate and we were sitting in it. Case closed. By the time we made it to the campground, the rain was really pounding. It was the middle of the night and the place was empty, of course. Not another living soul. The ranger wasn't even there to take our money for the site. The ranger knew better. Then the rain stopped. Now, it was snowing. Pops didn't flinch. He made mom get out with the walkie-talkie and she spent 20 minutes backing him into the campsite. Well, it was straight to bed for us. Pops got into it with mom and he went out for a smoke. My sister bunked with my mom in the back room, so it was just me alone in the bed right by the front door. I left it unlocked for Pops. I watched the snow fall from the window and sat there waiting for Pops to open that door. 
I remember watching the wind blow the snowflakes against the window when things went quiet. The snow drifted down as if there was no wind at all. And yet I could hear the wind whistle through the trees and the soft crunch of something large and heavy dive into the snow. The energy in the room shifted. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I wasn't worried about my dad coming back anymore. I was just scared. Then there was a tapping at my window. I thought, I hoped maybe my dad was calling me. So I slowly walked to the window. Feet were so cold they hurt. I looked out through the glass, but all I could see was the snow falling and the dark forest behind it. My breath fogged up the glass. That's when I heard something haunting from outside. A whisper. Radley. Radley. Was it the wind or was something calling my name? Radley. The voice grew louder. So did the howling wind. Radley. I recognized the voice. It was my father. Bradley. He was angry. Bradley, get out of here right now. I knew it wasn't him. God damn it, Bradley, do as I say. I was scared, but I couldn't stop myself. I walked to the door and grabbed the handle. The voice changed again. This time, it was a low chant in an ancient language. Then, I jumped back, tripped and fell to the floor. The pounding on the door was maniacal. I was terrified. I heard my father's voice again, but it morphed into something twisted and monstrous. Bradley. Bradley. I couldn't take it anymore. I had to get out of there. I didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do. I just ran to the door, flung it open, and stood there at the top of the fold-out stairs. The voice stopped. The wind stopped. There was nothing out there. Then I heard him. Bradley, what the hell are you doing out here? It's freezing. It was Pops. I could tell he was drunk. You were pounding on the door yelling my name, I said. His face changed. He looked scared, then serious. He said it wasn't him, but something pretending to be him. It was a thing called a Wendigo. He said it flew on the winds of a storm hunting for humans to eat. Once it found a victim, it would call out their name till it drove them crazy, forcing them to leave their shelter so it could take them up into the clouds. Once it devoured someone, it could look and sound like them. It would pretend to be that person so it could fool the next victim. My dad put his arm around me, said he was just kidding, he had too much whiskey and it was time to go to bed. But as I fell asleep that night, I remember my pops making sure all the doors and windows were locked and stayed up, facing the door, his gun in his lap. Remember this story on a chilly October evening when the wind whistles but the trees stand still. 
Run, 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 cadavers, the Windigo is near. There you are, cadavers. You disappeared. I thought you may have been a ghost. After all, this is the time of year for the dearly departed to pay a visit. Speaking of travel, our next tale follows two lovebirds who just can't see eye to eye in a story I call The Trip. Tim and I had been dating for about six months when we graduated college. We decided to celebrate by going on a backpacking trip through the British Isles. It had been really gray and icy cold that day, drizzling on and off. We decided to spend our day at the tavern below our room at the inn. Tim was in a great mood and decided to order a pitcher. It was only 3 p.m., but what else was there to do? We drank, ate, talked, and drank some more. Hours went by. Tim was loud and animated as he told a story I've heard a million times. His family rafting trip. He started describing the raft debacle when he froze. He got really quiet and every muscle in his face seemed to go slack. I paused for a second waiting for him to recover. He didn't move. I turned in my seat to see what he was looking at. Nothing. Nothing but an empty booth and a dark window. I asked what the hell he was looking at. He told me she was just staring at him. He seemed genuinely confused when I made it clear I had no idea what he was talking about. Tim seemed to slowly slip down into our booth. I tried to lighten the mood, but he just kept glancing in the direction of the window with this spooked look in his eyes. He had clearly drank too much, so I decided to get him to bed. I told him to charge the bill to the room and we headed up. In the stairwell, Tim freezes again. He looked at me and asked if we should call someone. I laughed, having no clue what he was talking about. He looked at me with a mixture of horror and shock. You don't hear her screaming? He got angry as if I was gaslighting him. Someone needs help. Tim ran down to the pub. He started telling the bartender that there was a woman screaming upstairs and that someone should check it out. The bartender grabbed this wooden club from under the bar and headed toward the stairs. He got to the bottom step and listened for a minute. Nothing. The bartender went up the stairs to take a look around. All this time, Tim kept insisting he heard the screaming getting louder. We found nothing unusual at all. Tim just kept on about this woman. Finally, the bartender got sort of frustrated and cracked some joke about a banshee. He told me to let Tim sleep it off. Up in the room, things got worse. Tim looked really shaken. He covered his ears and yelled for the lady to stop. When I asked who he was yelling at, he snapped at me. The woman in the window. I was getting really freaked out myself. I thought maybe he had some psychiatric condition I didn't know about. Fifteen minutes later, he headed for the door. I tried to stop him, but he was down the stairs in seconds. 
by the time I caught up, the bartender was glaring at Tim. Tim wasn't going to relax until someone saw her too. Look, right there. She's across the street, he yelled. The bartender reached for the phone. He was clearly going to get help, and I was worried Tim was going to end up cuffed on a curb. As I turned to talk down the bartender, Tim sprinted through the front door, calling to the woman only he could see. I didn't see the accident, but I heard the truck crash into him. His head cracked against the cobblestone with such force that they say he died instantly. Sounds like old Tim was unfortunate enough to see a banshee. Banshees can have long, streaming hair and red eyes from eternal weeping. They are harbingers of doom, so beware if you hear her. Your death will be coming soon. <laughs> Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Back for more? How very brave you cadavers are. Almost as brave as the backpackers in our next tale, who discover it's best to leave things where you find them. This one is called Midnight Waltz. My name is Jack. Just Jack is fine. I went hiking in the Scottish Highlands a few years ago. I headed off with two backpackers from Poland, Lexi and Jan. We decided to stick together for a few days. I... Uh, this is tough. Before we set out, we stopped by a little village pub for supper. It was our last taste of civilization before hitting a three-day trail. We stuck out like sore thumbs in that place. Alexi held up his flask of whiskey and said, Slang va. They loved it. Tch, idiot. <laughs> After some haggis, a few pints, this giant old guy came over to us. You lads going camping? He nodded. Highlands, eh? You lot better watch out for the Boa Banshee. Its screams wail from the mountain peaks, and it wanders the foothills at night hunting for human blood. <laughs> like a Dracula? Jan said. We thought it was obvious Sean Connery was trying to scare the tourists. Laugh if you want. Just don't be moving any carrion, and don't be dancing with any lass in the night. Alexi was all, I'll be saving a dance for you, Shrek. As we walked out of the pub and headed into the foothills, I looked back and saw the large old Scot smoking a pipe in the doorway. He watched us climb the slope into the darkness. If only we had listened to him. 
As night set in, we looked for a place to camp. We found a clear glade and began to set up. Alexi went off to find some stones to make a fire pit, and he came back a second later with a shit-eating grin on his face, cradling a bunch of rocks. He said there was a ton of them sitting in huge piles just outside the glade, and we went to grab more. We drank, we got high. Jan saw the first one. She kind of appeared into the light of the fire. Her dark eyes sparkled, her hair gently blue. She lightly touched her body through her dress that barely hit her pale curves. She bit her bottom lip and walked closer to us. Three of us were shocked to see someone, anyone, out there. Alexi tried to say something funny. Then three more came out of the shadows. Each swayed side to side to the music. Alexi and Jan were like hypnotized. Something wasn't right. Guys, guys, fuck this. I tried to snap them out of it. They wouldn't listen. One of the girls came toward me and tried to grab my hand. Her fingers were cold. I mean like ice. They felt like frozen carrots from the freezer. Hard, cold, wet, unhuman. When she finally touched my silver ring, she suddenly pulled away and walked over to the guys. Alexi and Jan didn't seem to care or notice how cold these strange girls were. They were dancing with them. I tried again to get these guys to leave, but it was no use. That's when I noticed one of their dresses sway, just enough. And I swear, instead of feet, she had hoofs. Something inside me told me to run, so that's what I did. I made it back to the pub when I walked up dripping with sweat, my heart ready to explode. I felt like an idiot. Did I just haul ass away from the party with four hot chicks? I was probably too high, too drunk, right? I grabbed a seat by the bar when I felt a hand on my shoulder. It was the giant Scotsman. He just nodded and said, Aye, lad, aye, and bought me a beer. I searched for them for hours, the next day. And when I couldn't find them, I told the local police. They couldn't find a single sign that we had ever stepped foot up there. The police assured me they probably moved onto the next trail. Look, I know we set up camp in that glade, and I know somebody put the stones from our fire back into the piles Alexi found. Back where they belonged. Oh, the Bavanshi is a female vampire from the Scottish Highlands. They appear as beautiful women with long dresses to hide their cloven feet. They seduce their unsuspecting victims and drink their blood. Many of you cadavers are near a body of water at this exact moment. Well, our next tale will make you wish you weren't. <laughs> I call this one Lake House Monster. A few years back, I inherited my aunt's lake house. The lake sits in a rural northeastern part of the Los Angeles National Forest. The surrounding town has less people than my graduating high school class. And like most small towns, it has its local lore. The town was established by three Spanish nobles that ran three successful ranches back in the mission days. By all accounts, the lakeside ranches transformed into a thriving rest stop on a well-traveled trading route, making the landowners very wealthy. 
All that changed when, out of the blue, the three ranchers and their families packed up and left. No one really knows why. All the historical documents indicate the ranches did well. The land was fertile, plenty of natural resources. It seemed to most the ranchers had abandoned paradise, but some locals believe they know the reason. They say it was the lake monster, an ancient dragon-like creature that chased them off. It's said the creature killed livestock and terrorized the residents of the area. Supposedly, one rancher had had enough and faced off with the monster. He hunted it down and shot at it several times, but was forced to retreat when the creature attacked him. Legend has it he got away with a single large scale and a giant gash on his right shoulder. The following morning, the families left with only what they could carry. Just some local folklore, right? I thought so, till last summer. I decided to treat myself to a weekend away, just me and my two dogs, Nala and Kiki. My aunt's lake house was our favorite place to hike and my retreat to get centered. I arrived at the house around 11 p.m. Friday night. The area has no real lighting, so the minute I turned off the car, it was pitch black. Me and the dogs hopped out and headed toward the front porch with my bag. I noticed right away things were strangely still. No crickets, frogs, or rustling trees. The silence was unnerving and unnatural. I picked up the pace. Just as I reached for the step, I hear this. Whoosh and what sounded like a heavy thud. Kiki immediately started whining and pacing behind me. I froze and looked over at Nala. Her hackles were up and she stared fixated on the roof of the second floor, right above the front door. Every hair on my neck stood up. I couldn't see a damn thing, but something primal inside me screamed that I was in real trouble. I fumbled as I tried to unlock the front door. Nala started barking and baring her teeth. Adrenaline shot through me and I just about dove into the house as the door finally opened. I called for the dogs, but Kiki had run off and Nala wouldn't budge. She just kept barking in this sort of rapid fire way. All I wanted to do was slam that door shut. Damn dogs. But I heard the whooshing sound again. It was like a giant bird's wings flapping. Nala bolted through the door. I held it a crack open and called for Kiki. Nothing. I finally had to close the door. I was shaking as I turned on the light. The hell was that? I knew the area pretty well and started to run through the list of possible large birds. I decided it was probably a condor. I had seen them from time to time. They get really big. It didn't attack. Totally a condor. I was worried sick about Kiki, but it was so dark in the surrounding woods that there was no way I would find her tonight. It was late and I was wrecked. I threw on my PJs and collapsed into bed. I honestly don't remember falling asleep. The next thing I knew, my eyes were flying open to the sound of this crazy thud on the roof above my head. Nala started growling at the foot of my bed. My heart was racing and I was frozen. My eyes followed the sound across the ceiling as it moved. There was a final crash, but this time right outside my second story window. I tried to reason that it could be a large bird stalking me outside my bedroom window that I stupidly left open a crack 
you know, for the breeze. In my mind, I sprinted to close the window, but my body wouldn't cooperate and stayed frozen in bed. I was literally holding my breath, afraid to make a sound. There's something particularly bone-chilling about knowing there's a creature large enough to make those sounds so close, and you can't see it. No face to the monster. And then it hissed. I forced myself to turn my head in the direction of the window. The movement of whatever it was had triggered a motion-sensitive light out back, and so the silhouette of this thing filled the window frame. It was no condor. I couldn't make out much detail. It was just this huge, dark, perched shape. Maybe six feet tall, four feet wide. I watched it crawl back a bit on the window edge and open its solid wings. The span blocked the light from the window. For a second, I was in complete darkness. Then it was gone. Light came through the window, and I started to breathe again. At sunup, I was out of there. Hadn't slept. I went to start the car, and I just froze. There were shattered shingles from the terracotta roof in the driveway. I got out of the car to see the damage. I backed up enough to see the first floor roof outside my bedroom window. Four sets of claw marks. Three scratches in each set. Like I said, it was no condor. Later that morning, animal control called my cell. They had found Kiki. Well, what was left of her. They had gotten my number off her tags. A local hiker had found her body on the shore of the lake. She had puncture wounds on her back, and her abdomen had been torn open. I put the house up for sale, and I haven't been back. Legend has it the devil himself created Lake Elizabeth and placed one of his own pets inside it. If you can swim deep enough, it's said that you would find a secret passage to the underworld. You can visit this lake today. It's just 18 miles outside of Palmdale, California, and directly above the San Andreas fault line. Coincidence? I don't think so. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) AutoTrader. (laughs) 
scared yet, cadavers? Our next tale is about a man who is scared to death. All rise for the tale of Judge Dryfingers. My name's Sheriff Nathan Stanley for the record. When you're fresh out of the academy before you can hit the streets, Sheriff Department makes you go work for the prison. I guarded this little jewel called the Wayside Honor Ranch. It's where I learned someone could literally be scared to death. Prisoner's name was Justin Boucher. He was doing 20 to life for murder and armed robbery. One night during a prison riot, Boucher escaped. He cut through miles of open fields over rocks and rivers and found this abandoned elementary school. Old Justin had given us the slip, it would seem. Weeks went by and we'd given up hope in finding him. Figured he was drinking margaritas in Mexico. In actuality, he was holed up in a coat closet of a kindergarten classroom. How do we know that? We got a frantic report from some teens. They'd broken into the school and found the missing prisoner. Dead. He had been rotten for weeks and the stench was damn near unbearable in the summer heat. Really scared the shit out of those kids. Old Justin hung from a coat hook that had caught him around the back of his collar. His face was pale white, mouth and eyes wide open, frozen in fear. One of the jokers at the coroner's office said it looked like Judge Dryfingers got another one. It was some local legend we all knew. Supposedly, there was this judge in these parts back in the day that was a hang em high sort. Sent more men to their deaths than anyone else in the state got the nickname Judge Dryfingers because he had some necrosis from some frostbite on his right hand. They were black and leathery and so rotten that you could see the bone. That also happened to be the hand that he'd slam his gavel with. Legend has it, ever since the judge died, you can see his disembodied arm floating around dark alleys, outside bars, lovers' lanes, wherever, just looking for people breaking the law. He'll grab a hold of them and, and not let go until they pay for what they have done. <laughs> Just some spooky little story to frighten kids and girlfriends. Or so we thought. Coroner says Justin must have been in that closet for a while. It was dark, his adrenaline was pumping, paranoia sky high. <laughs> no doubt he knew the legend of the judge. His collar gets caught on the coat hook and wham, Justin thinks Dryfingers is there to make him pay, gives himself a heart attack, scares himself to death. I came in during the autopsy to get some paperwork while the coroner was examining Justin's body. He's telling me his hypothesis on the death like we're chatting in church or something, when all of a sudden he stops. I look at him and he is ghost white. He looks at me and then down at the body. And I'll be damned, but there is a bruise, the shape of a bony hand, on the back of Justin's neck. Maybe Justin did have a reason to be scared after all. And Judge Dryfingers sent one more to their grave. Looks like Justin couldn't outrun the long arm of the law. Literally. <laughs> but don't head for the hills just yet. We have one last tale after this.
Don't your dreams just seem a bit more alive this time of year? Perhaps it's the brisk autumn air, or just maybe it's because you're seeing the future. For our final tale, Beth explains how dreams can become a reality in the nightmare. I woke up screaming, sweaty and out of breath. After weeks of sleepless nights, my parents decided this was more than a case of bad dreams. I saw a specialist and they diagnosed me with night terrors. I was four years old. After a ton of meds and sleep studies, the doctor deemed it an incurable case and told my parents I'd probably grow out of it. The worst part? It was always the same dream. It starts with me running down a dark road. Eventually, I reach a tall cornfield where I hear something in the stalks. Something running just beside me through the dying corn. Before I can see what it is, a giant truck's headlights barrel down the road straight at me. I get the very real feeling that my life is in danger. My heart pounds in my throat. I break into a cold sweat and I get a sick feeling in my stomach. I need to escape. I turn to run away when I stumble. I always stumble. That's when I hear it snarl. I turn my head and I see this massive black dog lunging at me. Then I wake up, screaming. I had this dream every single night. Then one evening when I was 16, I went to a Halloween party. It was about 9 p.m. when Sarah and I pulled up to the house party. We didn't know anyone there. Just one of those parties where word got out and everyone showed up. We were two steps into the living room when he seemed to swoop in from nowhere. He said his name was Rick. Rick was cute, outgoing, confident in a cocky sort of way. Honestly, at first I kind of enjoyed the attention. Eventually, he offered to get me and Sarah a drink and disappeared into the kitchen. We couldn't see much, but we heard him joking around with another guy. They were drunk and roughhousing. A few minutes later, Rick reappeared with our drinks and without his shirt on. A chill ran through my body. Rick explained he'd spilled beer all over himself and his shirt was in the dryer, but all I could focus on was his tattoo. I knew it well. I'd seen it most of my life. It was the dog from my night terrors. I felt stupid. It's just some ink, right? I pushed down my anxiety and I asked him about the tat. His expression changed. His eyes turned cold and an evil smirk split his face. Hmm? That's my hunting dog, Draven, he said. The best catch-and-kill hound he's ever had. I grabbed Sarah and half-dragged her to the bathroom. I locked the door behind us and dumped our drinks down the sink. Something was wrong. I tried to explain it, but it even sounded crazy to me when I said it out loud. She rolled her eyes and laughed it off as a stupid coincidence. Sarah was tough, and she wasn't scared of a dream or a tattoo. She went back to the boys and spent the rest of the night with Rick, laughing, flirting, enjoying herself. I kept my distance and killed time. I had a curfew to keep, and I drove us so she'd have to leave with me no matter what. Only she didn't. She took off when I was in the bathroom. I heard a truck engine start and immediately got a sinking feeling in my gut. I headed outside in time to catch a truck leaving with Sarah in the front seat. Rick's friend touched my shoulder and gave me a message. Rick's driving her home tonight. I drove home alone. The rest of the weekend passed, and you know what? For the first time in my life, I didn't have the nightmare.
It was Monday evening when the detective showed up. Sarah's body had been found in a cornfield. The evidence suggested she'd gotten away from her captor. But they set their dog on her. I gave the description of Rick, his truck, and the tattoo. I never had that dream again. enjoyed our six scary stories for Halloween. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Oh, and one last frightful fact. Research shows that events predicted in dreams seem to happen 40% of the time the following day. Hmm, only one thing left to say. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The six stories you've heard were written by Will and Jessica Martinez. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Gogo Lomo David, Mary Catherine Greenewalt, Todd Denson, Kate Peterson. With editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.